not turning to right now. We've read it several times. The Son brings the life of the Father to mankind. Without Him coming, we would have had no life. The law brought death. The Son brought life. The first time that life had ever come to planet Earth. That is, living life, the life of God. So the Son brings the life of the Father to mankind. So the question might begin with, did he really come from God? And we need to think about that because if he really came from God, then that should have an impact on how you think today and how you live today and how you're going to live tomorrow and whether or not you can come to Canada with me. That's free. Now listen carefully. If he came to be as one of us, and I believe that he did, I think that's the message of the new covenant, and he had this life of God in him as a man, then he becomes the ultimate solution to the human problem. Because if he came as one of us and yet possessed this life of the Father in him, then we all can be possessors of this life if we are in Christ. That was a long sentence. You can quote it back to me afterwards. I'm sure you'll remember it. And as witness in our text, as it applies to the apostles, they as men, as we are, they too possess this life that was in Christ, which life he had because he had the life of the Father in him. They as men, as we are, they too possess this life. If they have this life, we can also as men have this life, not because of the proximity of physical presence, but because of the word which contains the life. Words are the very conveyor of God. There is no idea of God except as what is told to us by creation as to the ideas of God and the purposes of God. There is no way to know God apart from words. Words contain life. Life is equal to God. Look at 1 John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word... um, was God, the Word. It, it contains all of the elements of God are in words. God is the expression of a language. He's the expression of ideas. It's conveyed to us through words. That's how we get to know God, is through words. Now, <clears throat> we have to deal with the question, did he really come from God? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 19, and if you're one that I sent notes to, um, it should be Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, and I have in your notes chapter 19 verse 1, and that's not the right verse, somehow I missed the 5. Let's see if this claim that was made against Christ will stand. His claim was, that he was the Son of God, and therefore he was blasphemous and to be put to death. So read with me in, in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, and we'll, we'll set the, the groundwork on that. 
A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity. Well, that just cuts out a lot of foolishness right off the bat, doesn't it? No single person can rise against any other single person with a crime in the law. Let me read that again. A single witness shall not, and yet we've got people doing it all the time. I have people coming to me tell, you know, I, I know somebody did this and this and this. Well, the first thing it's really easy to do, I'm sorry, honey, but you've got to have two witnesses. And all you've got is hearsay. Don't talk to me about hearsay. Don't waste my time. I don't, want, I don't want hearsay. If you were a witness, don't come to me unless you got two who were actual witnesses. You know, you just preachers, you save a lot of time if you just know the rules of the game. Don't allow yourself to get sucked up into all of that uh, counseling stuff where it's one person against another. A single witness shall not. Does anybody not understand that? shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity. I don't know how many that rules out, but I think it's inclusive. Or any sin which he has committed. I think any iniquity or any sin is pretty inclusive, don't you? How would you not include something? On any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a manner, a matter shall be confirmed. So, now if the claim against Christ will stand by his enemies that he was the Son of God, and we're going to read some verses on that, in the Mosaic law under which Jesus was under, came to the law, came under the law, came to the, the people of Israel. In, the, in that law under which Christ lived, at least two reliable, 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 not emotional misfits, at least two Reliable witnesses were required to convict a man of a crime. We have a problem with that, but that's the way it is. Jesus Christ was charged with blasphemy, claiming to be the unique Son of God. Not only was there the required double witness, but actually a fourfold witness to the crime. And let's look at them. The witnesses that we're going to look at this morning, very briefly, not only agreed that the claim was made, but also that the claim was true. And the first one is John the Baptist. Go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. <clears throat> For those of you who are literalists, this is the last book of the Old Testament. 
John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 34. I myself have seen. Now, what are we looking for? We're looking for witnesses to the claim of his enemies that he was the Son of God. Because if he was the Son of God and had been the one to bring the life of the Father as the Son to us, you see, that's where we were in 1 John chapters 1 through 1 through 4, right? That's what we're talking about, is the life that came to us via the Son, picked up by the apostles and made available to us through their word. That's the basis of our fellowship, is the life that is in the word. Christ was the word, the word of life. So the very first, the first one, the first witness that the claim uh, was true, is in John chapter 1 and verse 34, John said, I agree with the enemies. You didn't expect that. I agree with the enemies. John was agreeing with those who were going to make the claim against Jesus that he was the Son of God and called him and, and, uh, and referred to him as blasphemous because of that claim. That was his claim. His claim was a crime to them under the law. And John says, yep, they're right. I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. (laughs) So there's one witness that not only was the claim made, but the claim was also true. John the Baptist but sees that John the Baptist can't stand alone because of why? There has to be at least how many? Two. Two or three. To testify as such was John's very reason for being. That's his reason for being. He was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Look at John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Let's read those, too. John 1, 8 and 9. He was not the light, John the Baptist said that is. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus came, or John came into the world to make testimony to that light. That was what he came to make a testify to testify about was that that was his reason for living that's his reason for being that he was sent to bear witness he was sent to bear witness of the light which lightens every man the first was john the baptist stood up said the claim has been made and it's also true when his enemies charged him with blasphemy john says yep they're right Secondly, John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 36. Now here, this is the second one. He says, I have have even a better witness than John. John said, I've got hands-on experience. I have seen, I testify, it's my mission in life. But now 
It is said, I have a greater witness than that of John. So that would be two, right? Let's look at John chapter 5 and verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater. Oh, see? Isn't that what I just said? I have a greater testimony. It is greater than the testimony of John. Greater than the testimony of John. How would you beat John's testimony? And yet, you see, under the Mosaic law, it would not stand because he was only what? One. Got to have two. Or three. But in this case, we're going to have four. And that'll take us time for lunch. So look at verse uh, five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do. The works that I do. The works that I do testify about me and they testify about me that the Father has sent me. I have a greater witness than that of John, and that's the works that I do. Going back to John chapter 3 and verse 2, <clears throat> there was a great teacher. He was a, he was a more potent witness. In John chapter 3 and verse 2, on the same subject here now, chapter 2, Let's begin with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. We know. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He is supporting what Jesus said in chapter 5 and verse 36, which we just read. When he said, I have a greater witness than that of John, it is the works that I do. And here, Nicodemus is saying, no one can do what it is that Jesus is doing unless God is with him. Again, a greater witness than that of of John, than that of John the Baptist, were the works that Jesus did. You know, that's one reason why I prefer not to put an esoteric application to the miracles That is, that there are dual meanings and hidden meanings in all the miracles, which is popular today. I don't buy that. I think it's because of the miracles and the simplicity of the miracles and what they give to us in and of themselves that stand and give us a reason to believe that he was the one from God. And I believe as soon as we start playing with those miracles and putting hidden meanings and and, uh, uh, kind of uh, double meanings, and hidden meanings to those miracles, that there's always something under the surface that we can't see, but only the elite can see. I don't buy that. I, I don't really believe in esotericism, and yet most of our churches have that and practice that. I believe that we have found that the miracles are to be understood simply as a miracle. The miracles in their simplicity and fullness exemplify to us that Jesus was from the Father. Thirdly, see, we're moving right along. In John chapter 5, again, in in verse 37, not only was there the witness of John the Baptist, but secondly, we've discussed, 
the witness of the works that Jesus did, that they testify that he was from God, as acknowledged by Nicodemus. But thirdly, there was the direct testimony of God from heaven about him, about Jesus himself. That's three. 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 <clears throat> Those fingers don't cooperate very well. In John chapter 5 and verse, verse 37. So there is certainly the direct testimony of God from heaven. That ought to get you. And the claim, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. That's why, you see, we have to hear about him through words because God is contained in words and without words you can't know God. You get that? You do, uh, nor has, has seen his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. All right, you have not heard his voice, but he sent me. He has testified of me. He has testified of me. How did he do that? Let's go over to Second Peter. <clears throat> Second Peter. <clears throat> Chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. For when he had received honor and glory from God the Father, and an utterance of this was made to him by, by the majestic glory, this, and what is he talking about here? What event? Who knows? Anybody know? Transfiguration. You have to go back and pick up some of this. But he said to him, this utterance, this, 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 this one, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was the claim of his enemies, that he was claiming to be the unique Son of God. And we have three testimonies confirming that the claim of the enemies was right. It was accurate. It was true that he was indeed the Son of God. This is my beloved Son. So that was the direct testimony of God out of heaven concerning Jesus Christ was indeed his Son. The claim that the enemies say constituted blasphemy and gave reason for his death. Can you handle one more? Those are moving right along, eh? Fourthly, see, I didn't want this to go back up into Canada. I wanted to get it all done here today. If you go back with me to the Gospel of John, <clears throat> John chapter 5 and verse 39. The fourth, the fourth witness. Now, what was the first one? Who can remember? Oh, that's good. John the Baptist. What was the second one? Who can remember? Oh, what? His works. Oh, that's good. What was the third one? The direct testimony of God. And the fourth one? I haven't given it to you yet. So if you know it, you know something I don't. You're reading my mind. And that's dangerous. 
Fourthly, then, there is the testimony of the Bible. Look at in John chapter 5 and verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And that's true. That too is that also is true. It is these, the scriptures that is, that testify about me. The testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of the Bible about who it is that Jesus did, uh, who he was, and particularly as it relates to the old scriptures of the Old Testament pointing toward this one who came to us 2,000 years ago, who claimed to be the Son of God by his enemies that was blasphemous and gave cause for him to be put to death. Now today, when we look at the testimony of the Scriptures, uh, we no longer have a direct testimony as with John the Baptist or with his works or with the direct testimony of God, but we will always have the record in the scriptures of all of those witnesses. All of them stand, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, because, folks, if he is the Son of God, then what we are studying in 1 John chapters 1 and chapters 2, but we're particularly talking about the first four verses, that in him was life. Folks, that the only, base, only reason you have confidence in life, his life, is because he was the Son of God. The claim of the enemy was true, and it was confirmed by four witnesses that it was accurate. Therefore, he was put to death and shed his blood as a covering that you can come under. You can come under and be covered by his blood. We're going to sing today our closing song. Hopefully, the case against Jesus has been confirmed. That the claim against him as being the Son of God is true. We have four witnesses to establish that claim. That claim then stands as a true claim. And folks, in that claim that is true, we have our source of life. There is no life apart from him. No life apart from him. And how we come in contact with that, of course, is through the word, which is the embodiment of life. Let's stand as we sing.